from the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's turn to Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I'm delivered from all my sins and misery. And third, how I'm to be thankful to God for such deliverance. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the end of the year is a good time for reflection and evaluation. When you look back over the past year, what are the things that have given you joy? In many ways, the Lord has been good to us. We live in peace and freedom. We have opportunity to gather in worship twice each Sunday, to attend Bible study and catechism classes. In Jesus Christ, God has granted us the forgiveness of our sins, adoption as his children, the gift of the indwelling spirit, and eternal life. God also provides us with many material blessings, granting food, shelter, clothing, and much more. In our midst, couples have gotten engaged and married. Children have been born. God has blessed us in so many ways. Yet we've also faced trials and sorrows. Are there things from the past year that have caused you sadness? Some among us have struggled with their health. Some of our seniors are dealing with more and more limitations as they grow old. Some have dealt with anxiety or depression or other mental health struggles. Some who would dearly love to receive children have been disappointed. Couples have faced difficulties in their marriages. The Lord has taken home loved ones. We live in a fallen and in a broken world. We deal with the consequences of that every day. In all the joys and the struggles of life, how are we to go forward in life? Perhaps if life is good for you, that's not a difficult question. You'll continue to do what you've been doing, and you'll expect everything to be okay. But what if it's not? What if you're dealing with ongoing brokenness in your life? What if you are faced with some crisis or some loss in 2024 that turns your life upside down? How are you going to get through the new year? 
Do you have the courage and strength you need to walk forward with confidence into 2024? There's only one thing that provides us with the confidence we need to enter a new year. It is, a, it is the fact that we have a living relationship with the God of heaven and earth. God the Father has chosen us as his own people. Christ redeemed us from our sins and misery. He has made us his own possession. The Holy Spirit has come to make his home in us. Our comfort in life comes from knowing that we matter to God. It comes from the fact that we are of value to him. Our catechism summarizes this in Lord's Day 1. It does so by asking, What is your only comfort in life and death? It says that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I summarize the good news of salvation for you under the following theme. Our greatest comfort in all circumstances of life is that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Our comfort comes from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the love of God, and from the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Already in the Old Covenant, the Lord made it clear to his people that they belonged to him. We see this when the Lord delivered his people from Egypt. Although they did not really know the God of their fathers, the Lord knew them. When they came to Mount Sinai, the Lord commanded Moses to tell this people that he was re-establishing the covenant with them. He said, you shall be my treasured possession among all nations, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Of all the people living on earth, God claimed the people of Israel as his own people. The Lord communicated this message to his people at different times in different ways. In Leviticus 20, verse 26, he says, I have set you apart from the peoples that you should be mine. Ezekiel 16 gives us a picture of the Lord's love for his faithless bride. In this passage, the Lord speaks about his commitment to his people. He says, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. What the Old Testament makes clear is that the Lord set his love on his people Israel and claimed them as his very own. They belonged to him. Just as Israel belonged to the Lord, so we as New Testament Christians belong to Jesus Christ. Just as the Lord established his covenant with Abraham and his offspring in the Old Covenant, so he does so with believers and their children in the New Covenant. Just think about how God uses the same terms by which he expressed his claim over Israel to address the New Testament church. Peter tells his readers who have been scattered around Asia Minor because of persecution about God's claim over them. He writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. 
He uses the same terms God used to address Israel. And he applies them to the church of Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, you are the chosen people of God. From all those living in society around us, God has chosen you as his own people. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. There he describes what's often called the golden chain of our salvation. Paul details the various steps by which God has chosen us and made us his own. Paul says that those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The first step in the process is that God, before the foundation of this world, chose us to be his people. He set his love on us. Even though we were in no way more deserving than anyone else, God decided he would make you and me his children. We know that when God decides to do something, he always accomplishes his purposes. In time, God calls us to salvation. He does so through the preaching of the gospel. He points us to Jesus Christ and his redeeming work. And so he helps us repent of our sins and believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So God justifies us. He declares us not guilty of our sins because of the blood of Christ poured out for us on the cross. Finally, God will glorify us. He who made us his own treasured possession will not let us go. Through all the trials and sorrows of life, he's at work bringing us to the final day when we may share in his glory forevermore. How is it possible that God has chosen me? How do I know that I am his treasured possession? How can the almighty, infinite, eternal God set his love on me? Why would he bother to do that? He looks at who I really am and the many ways I've rebelled against him. There's times in life, beloved, when we may feel like we don't deserve the attention or love of God. Our sins, our struggles, our brokenness can leave us feeling shattered, feeling utterly unworthy. But we need to understand, God didn't choose us because of how good we are or because we merited anything from him. It is all grace. God grants us the righteousness of Christ, and thereby he claims us as his own possession. Paul writes about this at the beginning of Romans 8. He writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How can Paul say this? What does he mean by it? What has changed so that instead of being wretched people who deserve to come under God's severe punishment, Paul now writes there is no condemnation for us. Beloved, it's because of the work 
of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in verses 3 and 4, By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Christ came in our place to suffer the punishment that we deserved. By paying the price for our sins, he has redeemed us, setting us free from sin and death. Lord's Day 1 summarizes this teaching beautifully. It describes why I belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It's because he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. Jesus came into this world to offer his body and blood as a sacrifice for our sins. He is the good shepherd who gave up his life for his sheep. Thereby he paid the price to redeem us from our sins. By grace, Christ has laid his claim on us. We now belong to him. And that's what gives us so much comfort. We're not just some number among millions of other people in our society. We are Christ's sheep. He knows us by name. No matter how smart or dumb we are, no matter if we're educated or not, no matter if we've got a great job or if we're working for minimum wage, we are valuable to our Savior, Jesus Christ. doesn't matter if we're strong or weak, if we're capable or if we're living messed up lives. We're precious in Christ's eyes. He's proven that by being willing to give up his life for ours. Beloved, you belong to Jesus Christ. He loves you with a love so great. Words cannot express it. Not because of how faithful you are, or because of the good things you've accomplished in your life. Christ's love is not merited. It is given as a gift of grace. No matter what the outward circumstances of your life may be, you belong to Christ. He has claimed you as his own. You matter to him. You're valuable. You're precious in his sight. That's hard for us to understand. Because we so often value people because of what they can do for us. But Christ's love is not dependent on what we do for him. It's given freely by grace alone. This brings us to our second point, And it will see that our comfort of belonging to Christ comes from the love of God the Father. Because of God's grace in Jesus Christ, he has adopted us to be his children. Paul writes about that in Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. He makes a point that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's by the Spirit that we can cry out and call God, Abba, Father. How is it possible 
that God has become our Father? How can we be in such a close relationship with Almighty God, the creator of the universe? Well, God has become our Father through Christ. Christ redeemed us from our sins, paying the price for them. As a result, God is no longer angry with us because of our sins. He looks at us in grace. He considers us righteous and holy. Thus, as God's eternal Son, Christ has restored us to the glorious position of being God's children. Because we're sinful people, because we so often live broken lives, it's easy for us to feel alienated from God and rejected by Him. Because of our sins, we feel unworthy. We can think that God would never love a wretch like me. So how can we be sure we truly are God's children? Paul writes about that in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. He writes, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. By grace in Christ, God adopted us as dearly loved sons and daughters. We can be sure of this because it is what the Bible says. To further assure us of this, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit works in us through the use of means. When we read of God's promises in the Bible, the Spirit assures us that these promises are also for me. When we celebrate the sacraments, the Spirit uses these visible testimonies of God's grace to assure us of God's love in Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you're not sure about whether or not you're really God's child, you need to busy yourself with God's Word. Read it faithfully. Study it diligently. Allow the Spirit opportunity to work with the Gospel in your life. Come to church. Listen to the preaching. Be active in the worship of our great and glorious God. You cannot worship God in a heartfelt way. And submit yourself to the gospel message without being affected. The Spirit is Almighty God. He will not allow God's word to return to Him empty. The Spirit will use it to transform your heart and your life. He will fill the hole in your life and give you the comfort that comes from being loved by God the Father. Some of you sitting here this afternoon may still doubt that, you're truly, that you truly share in the comfort of being loved by God the Father. We can believe that God loves his children in a general way. It doesn't mean that we always believe that God loves me. There's times in life when we don't feel God's love. It feels like my life is broken. I don't feel like I can ever put it together again. 
God's love sounds nice, but it's not really a reality in my life. There's different things that can bring about those kind of feelings in our lives. Those who deal with ongoing sickness or faced with chronic pain can begin to doubt the goodness of God. Those faced with financial pressures, those who are snowed under debt can feel hard done by. They see others prospering and their situation only seems to get worse. In such circumstances, it's hard to see that God is fair, that God truly loves me. At times we have to deal with ongoing stress or anxiety or depression. We can face huge struggles in our mental well-being. In such circumstances, we don't always have the ability to think right. Such struggles can overwhelm us. And then it becomes hard to really know God as a loving and caring Father. We may be faced with struggles in our relationships. May not feel loved or supported by our spouse. There may be friction in our relationship with a parent or child or another family member. We may face ongoing conflict in relationships with others at church or at work. These things can affect us mightily. God made us as relational beings. And if we're cut off from the love and support and care of those around us, it can be hard for us to accept. God truly loves us. There may be other trials and sorrows that we face in this life. Paul writes in Romans 8 about how the whole of creation groans because of its bondage to corruption. We live, beloved, in a fallen and in a broken world. We especially experience this when we're confronted with death, when loved ones get sick or when they're taken out of this life. We're confronted with the final consequence of the fall into sin. Death itself. The death of loved ones is a major blow. We can struggle mightily to come to terms with that kind of loss. In such times, it certainly doesn't feel as if God loves us. Paul understood from his own trials and suffering how hard it can be to hold fast God's love and to be comforted by it. And that's why in Romans 8, verse 28, he wrote these words. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. With these words, Paul makes it clear that God has a plan for our lives, and that God is using all our experiences, also the tough ones, for our good. Lord's Day 1 summarizes God's love for us in this way. It says that Christ preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. The average person sheds between 50 and 100 hairs each day. Often they fall out without us even realizing But God's care over us is so particular, he notices even such unimportant things. Surely, 
The Father knows our cares and struggles. Not only knows them, but he's also using them for our benefit. So we see, beloved, the comfort that comes from the love of God the Father. We may not always feel loved by God. The experiences of life sometimes get on top of us, so we feel alienated from God, so we feel distant from him. But God's love is not determined by our feelings. It has been demonstrated by God's actions for us. Paul writes in Romans 8, verses 31 and 32, If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul makes a very profound point here, beloved. Consider this question for a moment. Who or what did God love more than anyone or anything else? The answer is Jesus Christ, his beloved son. If God was willing to give up what he loved most, doesn't that speak to his love and commitment toward us? God the Father not only sent his Son into this world to save us, he required his dearly loved Son to suffer and die a shameful, accursed death on the cross. Jesus had to bear God's wrath against the sins of the world. God poured out his wrath on Christ because he loved us so much and because he knew that this was the only way in which we could be redeemed from our sins and restored to fellowship with him. Can you grasp how wide and long and high and deep God's love for you really is? If God was willing to sacrifice his very own beloved son, We may also be sure that he will not withhold from us anything else that we need for body and soul. Our Father is always looking down on us from heaven above. He knows all our needs and desires. He loves to give good gifts to his children. Beloved, do not doubt your Father's love. Hold on to him. As you enter a new year, trust him to care for you, to provide all your needs. The Father loves us with a deep and abiding love. Romans 8 ends with a comforting assurance that nobody and nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord brings us to our final point, and it will see that our comfort comes from the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God's love for us in Jesus Christ is seen in the fact that he sent the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. Already during his earthly ministry, Jesus promised this to his followers. Jesus spoke to them about how he was going to leave them by going to heaven, and how he's going to go prepare a place for them. 
Yet he promised to give another helper, the spirit of truth, to be with us forever. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. For us as Christians, having the Holy Spirit has changed everything. God is not distant. He's not far removed from us. He dwells personally in each of our hearts. The fact that the Spirit has come to live in us has a profound effect on our lives. Paul speaks about this in Romans 8, verses 5 through 11. In these verses, he draws a contrast between those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and they live a lifestyle that's not pleasing to God. That is the way of death. Those who live according to the Spirit have their lives transformed. We focus on the things of God. The Spirit leads and guides our lives so that more and more we begin to do things that are in accordance with God's law and that please Him. Instead of being self-focused, the Spirit helps us to be God-focused. This, beloved, is the way of life. By helping us to live in fellowship with God, the Spirit draws us into closer communion with Him. He helps us to understand and believe all the promises God has made to us in His Word. He also assures us of God's grace in Jesus Christ, of His constant faithfulness and abiding love. Our catechism puts it this way. It says, Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, Christ assures me of eternal life, and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. It's in this way that the Spirit richly comforts us. He changes us so that we're able to live in relationship with God. He makes it so that all God's promises are real for me. He helps us to know that God is not some distant figure or that he's a loving father who cares for me. The Spirit, was, the Spirit is the one who applies all the spiritual blessings we have in Jesus Christ to our lives. Romans 8 verse 26 tells us that the Spirit even helps us in our weaknesses. In times when we feel lost, when God seems so far away, we may not even know how to pray anymore. Yet the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He communicates our cries to God so that our Father will hear us and come to our aid in times of trouble and stress. Beloved, we live in the midst of a sinful and broken world. We may experience much trouble and sorrow in our lives. We don't know what God has in store for us in 2024. Yet God provides a rich comfort for all who believe the gospel. We belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We may draw great comfort from the grace 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, from the love of God the Father, and from the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, comfort that we matter to God, that to him we are his precious sons and daughters. Comfort that God is always near, that no matter what the circumstances of our life may be, he will help us. Comfort that God will sustain us through all the trials and brokenness of this life until he brings us home. May we find rest for our souls in God alone. Amen.